I am a huge believer that your customer experience will never be better than your employee experience. Unhappy employees do not create happy customers. So to really create a culture of customer experience excellence or resident management excellence, it starts with your team and it starts with the way you recruit and interview and train and onboard and enable them. So like if your job description does not start by saying to better serve our residents by, you should do that because you wanna make sure that every employee knows that the reason they have a job is because of these residents. All right, my name is Andrew Smallwood and Laura Mack is my esteemed co-host of the Triple Win podcast. We're so excited to have Brittany Hodak with us uh, today, you know, I, I would maybe refer to Brittany as like the queen of like customer experience. She's a thought leader in this space. She's got a book coming out. Um, we have some mutual friends and mutual circles that we share. And uh, I think everybody here knows how much second nature and the property management space is really starting to think about uh, customer experience, resident experience, investor experience. Uh, employee experience. I mean, that's the three parties, right, that we talk about creating triple win experiences for. So very excited for the TWLX bonus masterclass uh, that's here. If you're registered for TWLX, you're joining dozens of other professional property managers already, some of the best vendors in the industry, more to come uh, and announcements on all fronts there. But August 23rd, 24th, uh, we'll get a link in the chat. If you're not yet registered, you know, you're, you're getting a little taste of almost what we're not going to be doing at TWLX, which is not a lot of content, you know, and delivering information. What TWLX is really organized around and why we convene together generally live is there are some benefits uh, to, you know, experiencing content together in a group like this. But, um, you know, really, we believe the highest and best use of our time together is how do we get into powerful collaboration, conversation, connections with other valuable people from across the industry that will last well beyond uh, the two days, two half days that we're together uh, in August. And so it's less about a long to-do list of ideas. We wanna provide great content leading up to this event so that it sparks some great conversations, collaboration, and actually creating real-time momentum that you start to see this getting implemented and getting results in your business. So. That's what it's all about. Uh, if you want more information about TWX, you can find a ton of information on the website and more to come out. Stay tuned in your local email inboxes and social channels where you're used to hearing from NARPM and Second Nature. So with that said, Brittany, thanks for, thanks for being with us today. And I'm going to give you a totally insufficient introduction, but I would encourage anybody that hasn't, isn't as familiar with Brittany or is newer to Brittany uh, Laura's been telling me about Brittany for some time, and I just get more and more excited the more and more I learn about Brittany. And I watched a cool, she has like a speaker reel uh, that's a well-produced video of her keynoting for, for some of the most like famous brands and, you know, companies in the world. Um, but also, you know, she's got great stories down to like small business and like local operations. Uh, a lot of stories that I think you all will connect with here and principles about creating an excellent customer experience that, and just loyal fans, right, of a business that um, we're really excited to get into today. So selfishly, Second Nature is here to learn uh, from and with Brittany, <laughs> and, and we're excited to make this really relevant and applicable for all of you here. Uh, and uh, with that, Brittany, I'd love to even just start, could you give people a little bit of background of just, man, how, how did you get to where you are today? What got you passionate about what you're passionate about? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to speak with all of you. I can't wait to answer your questions. I have been an entrepreneur for about 15 years now, so there's no audience that I love speaking to more than people who know the ins and outs of running businesses and how hard it is, because I always say it's like having a kid, like you think you know how hard it is, and then you actually do it, and you're like, yeah, this is so much harder than I ever could have imagined. So I am thrilled to be here with each of you today. 
Um, I have been obsessed with customer experience for as long as I can remember. I grew up working in the music industry. So my very first job when I was 16 years old was as a radio station mascot, which was sort of my introduction to the entertainment world, which I feel like is about as entry level as it gets as far as entertainment jobs go. Um, and then I had the very good fortune that my maiden name was Brittany Jones. And the station manager one day said, you know, I keep seeing movie ads for this Bridget Jones diary. What could we do and call it Brittany Jones diary? And I was 17 at the time. It was like 2000. I was a junior in high school. And I said, well, you're always talking about trying to get people to go to our website. What if I just interviewed the bands that came to town and it could be like Brittany Jones's diary, you know, I'm backstage with a band or we're doing whatever. And she said, oh, like that other movie, that almost famous movie. Yeah, I think that's up for some Oscars. Let's do that. And so all of a sudden, as a 17 year old kid, it was literally my job to hang out with rock stars and brag about it on the Internet which was amazing and also sort of like spoiled any chances of me ever getting like a quote unquote real job. So I was like, okay, entertainment industry check. This sounds like something that's going to be a lot of fun. So over the next several years, I went to college, I moved to New York, I worked for a couple of record labels. All the while I had this idea for creating these sort of super fan experiences and packages to better connect artists with fans, because I thought I'm so lucky to get to meet like anyone I want. I know that 99% of people don't get to do that. What could I do to help share this experience with more people? How could I scale like these amazing things that I get to see like one-on-one? -on -one? So I had this idea for this company. I kept trying to get people to believe in it uh, for years after I graduated. And then finally, one day when I was switching jobs for a third time in like eight years because I was so frustrated that nobody believed in this idea. I was venting to a Walmart buyer who had become a friend. And she said, you've been telling me about this for years. And for years, I've been saying, this is a great idea. Just start your own company. I'll give you a vendor number. I'll introduce you to anyone you need to meet, but just do it. Like start your own company. And I literally Googled how to start a business because I never thought about being an entrepreneur. I'd never thought about starting my own company, but we did 90 days later. I had my first product in Walmart stores nationwide that year. I did over a million dollars in revenue. Um, over the next several years, I grew up to an eight figure business. I worked with some of the biggest superstars on the planet, everybody from pop stars like Taylor Swift and Katy Perry to legacy acts like Kiss and Dolly Parton and George Strait and like everyone in between, um, hip hop acts, country acts, you name it. If they wanted to do something at Walmart, we were probably involved. And over those several years, I started working with lots of brands because I thought if we could get brands on board, we could scale these promotions even bigger. We could reach even more fans and make even cooler activations. And so what I started to sort of obsess about was this idea of super fandom and what makes someone not only be a fan of an artist, but of a brand or of an experience or of a service. And so I went back to school. I got a graduate's degree in um, marketing and customer experience. And I started really going down the rabbit holes of what is it that makes us feel an emotional reaction to something? How can we tap into that as marketers to create customers who create more customers. And, you know, I'm a huge believer that the number one threat that all of us face in business is apathy. People who just don't care either because they haven't been given a reason to, um, or because maybe they just don't know about the problem that we're solving, but it's very often not an awareness issue as so many entrepreneurs think it is. It's an apathy issue. Plenty of people know, they just don't care. So I, you know, started talking about this. I started doing events. My business was on Shark Tank. Uh, we got a call one day from a casting producer who had read an article that I had written in Forbes. And he was like, you guys sound awesome. You should come be on Shark Tank. And I was like, is this for real? I would love to be on Shark Tank. That sounds like an amazing opportunity. So after I was on Shark Tank, I started getting all of these really interesting offers to do more consulting and advisory work and speaking. And that really kind of took off. Um, and after a couple of years, I was like, okay, I can't like have one foot in both of these worlds. It was becoming too much to run my agency and also do all the speaking and consulting. So I sold the majority of my interest in that company at the end of 2018. And in 2019, launched 
into what I'm doing now, which is just full-time speaking and writing. I have a debut book that's coming out that I'm so excited about. It'll be everywhere in January. It's called Creating Superfans, How to Turn Your Customers into Lifelong Advocates. And it draws on a bunch of the cool experiences that I've had over the years to teach business lessons that you can absolutely use for, you know, residential experience management, but it's lessons coming from people like, you know, Nikki Six of Motley Crue or Keith Urban or the Beach Boys. And thank you, Alex, for popping that pre-order link. Um, it's, it's, it's a really fun look at how if you want to create the same passion that people have for those things that they love in pop culture, you've got to employ some of the same techniques to make it exciting and memorable and share worthy. Man. Am I glad I asked you to start there? Uh, <laughs> that was great, Brittany. Thanks for the thanks for the backdrop and just how you got here. So many things. I, I saw a couple people. Uh, I think I saw Laura even putting like, "Hey, here's a couple memorable sound bites." You know what you were sharing there as you went along. And yeah, I kind of want to get right to making this really relevant for people. And I want to talk about some of the struggles that um, you know I experience and that I see others experience. And, you know, maybe I'll say it's it's in our industry and I'll try to provide, you know, more context like we've talked about before um, about why it feels specific to this industry. But I'm, I'm sure some of this is universal, even outside the industry that we can take away. Um, but, you know, in residential property management, it's like there's there's high expectations from people. Um, it's, you know, where someone lives, we, we talk about it. It's it's the only emotional asset in real estate of, you know, people are putting marks on the doorframe of like their kids getting taller. And, you know, when something goes wrong, it, it hits them in this place, you know, that's important. And also you're, as a property manager, you're in between a resident's money, the investor's money, like it, it can be difficult to be there and just meeting expectations, let alone talking about how do we create these ex special experiences, right? That can exceed expectations. Um, you know, how, how do you think about, you know, small business entrepreneurs and people who are passionate about, you know, real estate and really building a great company and a great experience here, you know, navigating challenges when it feels like, man, there's a lot of difficult moments that we need to solve for, you know, how can we create new moments that are unexpected? Um, you know, they seem like different things or almost different skill sets, potentially. Like, how, how do you think about that? How do you teach people to think about that and the opportunities for experience creation? Yeah, well, thank you for asking the question. And, you know, first, I just do want to acknowledge how hard it is, what all of you do for, for some of those reasons that you outlined. Um, you know, when there is a problem where we live, it's sort of compounds everything else, right? It's like, if you can't take that warm shower in the morning or your toilet's not working or whatever, like just everything, you know, it's like the first domino in a really bad day. So you guys have the same issues oftentimes of like divorce attorneys or I don't know, funeral managers in that you're dealing with people who are perhaps not at their best right now, right? So even if you've got really great residents, you might be dealing with them at a hard time and they're not perhaps giving you their best. So a lot of it is just having that empathy to say like, I'm going to be the bigger person. I'm going to overlook if I'm getting yelled at. Um, the first step for really great experience management is defining what you want that experience to be. Because if you haven't taken the time to create the roadmap of what the expectations for your tenants should be and what your expectations are, not only of them, but of your vendor partners and of your employees and everyone else on the team, it's that much harder to get everyone on the same page, right? What's the saying? Like, there's no such thing as common sense. Like, you've got to create those commonalities. Like, you've got to say, this is the experience we are curating and this is what it means. And when I say that, I mean things like saying, okay, the expectation is that any phone call will be returned within this amount of time. Any text message will be returned within this amount of time. I'm going to make myself available for office hours every week between or every week between X and Y. Because a lot of times when interpersonal situations snowball, it's because there is an expectation gap 
like one side does not think what the other side thinks is reality is reality, right? Or are the expectations are the expectations. So being really clear about all of all of those things um, that you are holding yourself accountable to and that you're expecting of your customers. And I think to an extent, remembering that even if it feels like it in the moment, most of your, like, well, I shouldn't say most of your tenants, any reasonable person is not going to expect you to be perfect all the time. They're going to expect you to be available and accessible to fix a problem when it goes wrong. Um, and when you can fix a problem in a way that meets or exceeds their expectations, they're going to be that much more um, patient the next time around. So doing things like saying, we've got systems and processes in place around how you need to put in a work order request and then holding them accountable to the same extent that you're holding yourself accountable to taking care of that. Um, I am a huge fan of checklists, like the before, during, and after of what you're doing for every interaction and every experience to make sure you know, you're, you're leaving that tenant or um, that employee or that vendor or partner, you're leaving them a little bit better than you found them at the end of, ex of the experience. Just little things that are easy to, to automate or check to make sure that you're doing every single time in every interaction so that, you know, you you have a reputation for being kind, you have a reputation for being clear, and you have a reputation as the person who's going to fix the problem when it goes wrong. Yeah. You know, I love what you said here about like, hey, starting with defining the experience you want to create and, you know, understanding where expectations, there's a gap between those things. And, you know, so the problem, that probably brings up, there's so much activity in property management. Sometimes it can be hard to figure out, hey, where do I start? Where, where do I prioritize really defining the experience or, hey, define it at a high level and then the application here of where I start, um, you know, it can be challenging for folks. So it would love some thoughts you have on that. And if I can weave this in, Brittany, and not, not overload you with too much to cover, but there's this interesting debate, I think, which is there's opportunities to create an experience. Like how does somebody show up with surprise and delight? How are you hiring people where, you know, if they're having a really good day, like your employees or the contractor network, whoever it is, they're having a really good day. They're having a good attitude, right? And they're they're present to the showing up at their best. Can the customer tell versus if they're a little off or a little cranky? And there's a lot of companies that have organized their business in such a way where you almost can't tell, you know, like I, I can't tell if the Amazon pick packer shipper, you know, is, is having a great attitude in that moment or not. Right. Maybe if I'm interacting with them at my door, I can. Right. But it seems like there's this interesting question of like, are we trying to automate and create an effortless, convenient experience for people? Are we trying to create a human experience, right? A connective experience for people. It, it feels hard to do both, um, you know, or like, like they can be different, you know. What advice do you give on identifying, once you've defined the experience you wanna create, maybe through that lens, how do you think about making those kind of decisions? And yes. where you might prioritize or start as a company in well, you know, I, solving the problem. Is there a third one too, or? We could That's let's it. tackle those two first. Okay. I love the first because they can feel very different. The let's automate things to make them quicker and more seamless. And then on the other side, the prioritizing the human side of it. And in reality, they are two sides of the same coin, right? There are so many things that at least during our lifetimes are not going to be able to be completely automated. So automation is not going to replace every role, but people who embrace automation will absolutely replace people who do not. And I'm a huge fan of looking for ways to automate or simplify things that improve the customer experience. So if it is easier for someone to be able to do something automatically, by all means, make sure you've got a system or a process in place for that to happen. However, make sure that you've got a human behind the scenes, because for most people, especially most most people under the age of like 50 to 55, you want to do something yourself until things go wrong, right? Like I don't want to have to talk to a person unless I know that I need a person because there's not going to be an option on that phone tree or that form. So by automating some of the lower touch stuff, you free up 
more bandwidth on your team for them to focus on the higher touch interactions, the things that matter more. So in reality, it's it, it's a spectrum, right? It's not either or. It's saying, how do we automate the things that can be automated so that with the same staff, we can serve our customers so much better. So the trick in, in, in choosing what to automate is really like asking yourselves, is the customer experience going to be improved or made worse if we make this change. So when you're looking about things that you want to automate or eliminate or delegate, just ask yourself that question. Like, are customers going to be better or worse served by this change? Because if you always make every decision from a place of customer centricity or resident centricity, you're going to make the right decisions in the end because it's not either or. And to your question about uh, can people tell um, whether or not people are having a good day. Yes, they can. Sherry, I love the question about what do I have for now? Go ahead and pre-order the book because it's awesome. And then I promise we can be friends between now and when it comes out. <laughs> so Andrew, to answer your question. Um, yes, a lot of times people can tell, especially with like property management stuff, because it's not somebody dropping off a package on your doorstep and leaving. It's someone in your home doing things. So being really clear about the expectations for your own team and your partners. Now, I am a huge believer that your customer experience will never be better than your employee experience. Unhappy employees do not create happy customers. So to really create a culture of customer experience excellence or resident management excellence, it starts with your team. And it starts with the way you recruit and interview and train and onboard and enable them. So like if your job description does not start by saying to better serve our residents by, you should do that because you wanna make sure that every employee knows that the reason they have a job is because of these residents. And if the residents hate the experience and wanna move away and wanna tell their friends not to be in business with you, that is a bad look. So every single customer in today's world, every single resident is an influencer. And what I mean by that is we all have people around us who will either make a decision or refrain from making the decision because of something that we say, right? Every single person has a, an influential or, or has the influence of a certain number of people. And they also have access to sharing those opinions with everybody on the planet, like people we don't know. So you've got to treat every single customer as if they were, you know, Kylie Jenner with like the biggest platform. Um, and the way that you do that is by hiring employees who are very customer centric. And there are some people who just aren't cut out for it. They don't want to interface with customers all the time. And like, that is okay. You just should not hire those people for customer facing roles because to think like, oh, you know, this person is so great at plumbing. So I'm going to hire them, but they're a terrible people person and will compensate for that. Like, no, you will never compensate for it. You have got to find people who enjoy solving problems, who enjoy helping other people, because that is something that I believe you either have or you don't have. It's like no one could ever work with me enough to make me good at basketball. Like it's just not going to happen. Um, they should just like find someone else to play basketball. And unfortunately, sometimes with the members of your team, you just have to be like, look, this person is just a and they're like not going to stop being a no matter how many times we tell them like you got to do these things. So I think some of it, Andrew, is getting the right people and then training them and trusting them to do the right thing in the right situations. Yeah, that's really great. And I think Bruce's comment, if you can see it in the you know chat is is a good one, which is, you know, hey, we we want a great experience for residents and we want a great experience for for employees. And the, and the challenge is how do we effectively, compellingly, consistently deliver our vision for the experience that we're creating um, in order to drive that kind of experience culture, right? Internally, that then starts to reflect externally. Do you have some advice, you know, for people, everyone here, they're, they're, they're a leader, you know, in their company, right? They're either the founder, entrepreneur, or they're in an important leadership position, influencing change amongst other people. And so, what advice would you give for, um, you know, being effective and trying to drive that kind of experience culture? 
Yeah, that, that is such a great question. And it looks like Noel is saying, I have a hard time getting myself to believe and incorporate the experience, vision and culture. Um, and when you hire third-party managers, yeah, that 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 is part of it. Um, I would say part of that is vetting those third parties. Another thing is to over communicate. Like every single person in your company, whether they're you know part of your team or a third party must be able to articulate your vision. They must be able to tell you why you are different from every other competitor in your space, because if they can't, they're never going to be able to convey it. And if they can't convey it, those residents are never, ever, ever going to feel it. So it starts, Bruce, by saying this is 100% the vision. And we are going to communicate this so often and so clearly that everyone is going to know it. And we're never going to hire someone without them being able to regurgitate back to us what it means to them and how they're going to embody it. We're never going to start a meeting without talking about it. We're never going to let time go by where we don't acknowledge people doing a great job of it. And most importantly, I am a huge fan of whatever your differentiator is, like whatever that uniqueness is that you're incorporating into the experiences for your residents, you've got to find a way to track and measure it and then tie that tracking and measurement to the compensation of those property managers. You've got to make them care. You've got to make sure that they understand that your property isn't just like 10,000 other properties in the same city. It is different. It feels different. It is different. And the people who live there can feel it because... And then the fun part is designing that because, and every single one of you could have a completely different answer because each of your properties are unique and special for different reasons. So, you know, designing what those things are could be as simple as the move-in experience. Like, what do you have waiting for residents when they move in? When I bought my house, one of the fun things that my realtor had done was she had like stalked us on social media and been strategic about asking a few questions to find out what we liked. We moved from New York to Nashville. And when we got here, the refrigerator was totally stocked but not with like random stuff, stuff that she knew that we would enjoy. She knew I was a huge country music fan. So there was a Cole Swindell, hey y'all, welcome Matt, sitting outside, like all of those personal touches. So figuring out ways to connect your brand story to each of your residents is not only going to make them feel more welcomed and feel like they belong in that community, but it's also really smart because they're going to share it, right? Like you don't even have to ask them to, if you create amazing experiences for people, they are going to talk about you. The key is just to be so good that people can't help but tell their friends and family. So looking at a list of all of those things that you can do for your tenant on move-in day or, you know, a month before they're up for renewal or on their birthday, which is information that you have on file from them signing the lease or on some fun holiday like National Donut Day or whatever. And having, having the faith in your property managers and your team to say, we know that you understand the vision. We know that you know that this is important. There are some things that we're going to like tell you that you're going to do, but we're also entrusting you to do some on your own. Like it is now part of your job that you will be comped or bonused or whatever on customer delight or resident delight. So you've got a budget of, you know, $15 per resident per month or whatever it is that you are now charged with doing something that is going to make people's lives better, that is going to improve their experiences and make them think, I would never leave this community that I am a part of right here, even if it did take two days for them to fix that thing last week that I wish they'd fixed in a day. Like you've got to build that sense of, unforgettableness and like people would never want to not have that thing anymore because of the commitment and the connection that they feel to what you're offering. And Brittany, that's great. And I, I see more coming through the chat and I, I want to try to work this in. So, you know, I think what I want to ask you next is it, it like something we observe in real estate in general is there's this difference between like property management and what I'll call like hospitality management. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at like hotels, Airbnb, short-term rentals, there's a lot of, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of focus on the experience there. We've seen over the last couple of decades in large multifamily management, you know, the, the 
community celebrations, events, connecting people to each other, all kinds of experiential amenities, right? That people can, can have there. And you know, this kind of thinking is working its way into single family. It can feel easy for someone who's working in single family houses or small apartments and where we are today to think like, and it sounds really aspirational and it's going to be like a long journey for our, you know, industry, I would bet, you know, over time and thinking about like, what are the ways that somebody would measure, you know, when you talk about like, Hey, this is something that's measured and monitored, right? I can see somebody saying, okay, I've, I've got a metric that I measure my team on, which is, um, you know, how much, how many tickets, right, they process in a week, right? And while that might be a good metric, it also could lend itself towards an experience that says, I'm trying to move through this as fast as possible, right? Versus first call resolution, as an example. And I'm just curious, you know, what have you learned when you think about measuring, monitoring, and even incentivizing employees, like compensation model being tied to it, you know, what, what really works for, um, you know, bringing people's attention to that experience they're creating? What have you seen work there? So that's a great question. And a quote that I love from Albert Einstein, who was, you know, a pretty smart guy, um, is not everything that can be counted counts and not everything that counts can be counted. And a lot of times we fall victim to saying like, okay, yeah, we're going to track the number of tickets resolved and the higher the number, the better the job was done because we're tracking that number. And it's something we can see very clearly on a chart that goes up and down. But to your point, that may not be the case because if somebody's rushing in and out and they're, you know, making that person feel like they didn't take the time to answer their questions or they don't fully understand, not only is that creating a worse experience for the resident, but it's also potentially making a problem like not actually be solved, right? Like maybe if you had taken the time to listen, you would have uncovered that, oh, it's not this thing with the ice maker that I think it is, or like, oh, it's probably something else going on in the shower. And, you know, um, so for instance, instead of tracking tickets resolved, you could track CSAT or customer satisfaction. So um, customer satisfaction is just the measure of, you know, asking someone how satisfied were you? And there, there are a bunch of different ways you can, you know, you can wrap it, you can skin it, you can track it, uh, talking about either that specific interaction or a longer one. There's also the customer effort score, which all of you have, I'm sure, experienced as customers at some point where, where people are just asking you how easy or hard was this relative to your expectation. So it's really getting clarity on the way you expect things to be done. And so when you create an environment to where you're showing that you care a little bit more or doing things just a little bit differently, what happens is you break through that apathy and you go from like, oh, I could live anywhere and it's going to just be, you know, some property manager taking care of my problems to, oh, wow, this feels different. And just as an example, um, I never really cared about like who fixed issues in my house, right? Like it was just, I would call the home warranty company and whoever they would dispatch, it was like, fine, whatever. And I usually, by the time something else went wrong again, I would just like call them again to like send someone else because I would, I would think like, oh yeah, that guy was nice, whatever. But then I just, you know, like time would go by and I would forget. Um, and so about three months ago, um, the sink was leaking. And we couldn't figure out why. And it was just like, there was water all in the sink. Like I opened it one day to get like the dishwasher tab out and like everything like floated by. And I was like, oh man. So this guy named Perry came and he like fixed the sink and it was something really simple. And he fixed it in a couple of minutes. And he, this is like kind of gross. So I'm sorry. But he was like, okay, now that we've got that taken care of, he looked up and he was like, what am I looking at? And I was like, it's dead bugs in my light fixture. And he was like, why are there dead bugs in your light fixture? And I was like, I don't know. It's just like where every moth in America goes to die. And I've got two little boys. And so like, no matter how many times we tell them to keep the doors closed, they're always opening the doors. And we've got two dogs that are in and out all the time. So the light, no matter how often I would clean it, like more moths would just go there to commit suicide. It was like a cult or something that like every moth was like, we want to be part of this. So anyway, he's like, 
what am I looking at? And it was like dust and dead moss. And I knew it was gross and I knew it was there, but we have really high ceilings and I've got two little boys and I'm never alone. Could I have taken the 20 minutes to like change the, you know, pull the thing down and clean it and get all the bugs out? Like, of course. But as those of you with little kids know, like there's just always something more pressing. So Mr. Perry, who was there to like fix the sink was like, go get me a ladder. I am taking this down and cleaning it. And I was like, oh my God, I am so embarrassed. Please, you do not have to do that. Like it is okay. And he was like, my mom would never let me leave a house, not in better condition than I found it. This is something that I can do. And he like sees the kids running around being all crazy. And he was like, you clearly have your handful. Like it is not a problem at all. Like go get me the ladder or tell me where it is. Cause I'm not leaving your house until I do this. And so he took down the big thing, which, you know, it probably weighs like 20 pounds. Like that was the other thing I was always afraid I was going to like drop it. So like in the past when we cleaned it, like we would wait till the kids were in bed and my husband would like hold the ladder. And then I would have to like hand the thing down to him anyway. So he cleaned this put it back up, made it look beautiful. It had nothing to do with the reason he was there. I'm sure when he got out of the car to like, come look at my leaky sink, he wasn't like, is she going to have a dirty light fixture I can fix? But he just had the personal drive to say, I'm going to leave this house better than I found it. And maybe that's what I was here to do. And maybe it's something I wasn't here to do. So do you think I'm ever going to like randomly call the home warranty company when something goes wrong? No, I have Perry's business card on the refrigerator. I specifically was like, what all do you do? Oh, you do appliances. Oh, you do plumbing. Oh, you've got a partner at your business that does HVAC. That's awesome because all of a sudden I am not apathetic anymore. All of a sudden I'm not like anybody can fix a sink. I mean, I can't fix a sink, but like a lot of people can fix sinks, right? Because I want the person who I know cares the most. And in today's economy that we are living in, in this experience economy, people want to know that they matter. They want to know that you care about them. There's a great Teddy Roosevelt quote. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You have got to show them that you care about them. And not just because they're paying their rent that month or not just because you're trying to keep your occupancy above whatever. You care about them as a person and as an individual. And I know I've been talking a really long time, but to address something I forgot about before, Andrew, when you ask about like, how do you do some of these things and not make it feel aspirational, but make it feel achievable, start with things that you can automate. Like you can automate sending birthday cards to every single tenant that you have, or at least the ones whose birthdays are on the lease that you know. You can automate sending out postcards for special holidays. You can automate offers that go to people for, for things that like you don't even have to think about on the third-party property manager level. You can just set it and forget it. And while you can't ever automate your way to super fans, you do have to have a personal touch it helps make things that much easier because you're checking the box to show somebody that they are appreciated, that you do care about them as a person, that you did notice that, you know, they're a new mom. And so you sent something fun or that it's their half birthday and you want to tell them, you know, you hope they have a great day or whatever. Like there are things that you can automate to help bridge that gap between like aspirational and, oh man, we're amazing at this. Man, really great. Brittany, I've got one more question before I open it up uh, to other folks' questions or just whatever comes up next here. But you know, one question I want to make sure I ask before we, we finish was, and, and let me reflect first on a couple of things you just said, because I got to get that out. Otherwise, I'll, I can't stop thinking about it. When you talked about you know, so the story, right? Uh, Mr. Perry was his name, right? Yes, Perry. Yep. Like, I don't know how many times you've told that story to how many people, right? But my bet is... You know, it's the kind of thing where, hey, that effort and what he did in that moment to demonstrate his care for you and make you make you feel something, right? Um, you know, that's paid dividends, reputationally speaking, right? Um, you know, from there, these creating these kind of moments, and culturally, at second nature, we have something like written out of a way we talk about this, and it's when we look at moments and experiences, and there's an opportunity to make a moment happen. You know, asking the question, not what's the least we can do, but what's the most we can do, right, in this moment is gets people into a different mindset about how to approach things. They may see opportunities. They may see 
the bugs, you know, in the lighting fixture, so to speak, and an opportunity to make something happen for somebody. Um, and I think, you know, a tip for coming back to like this question, which is how do we drive this kind of culture, like telling stories like the one that you just shared and encouraging your team within the team to share these stories of making moments happen for people, right? Of where this is happening in ways in the business can help start to get some momentum going and showing people examples of success and what it looks like that can start to drive things where eventually as a leader, you go from talking about it all the time, right? And while you've always gotta be passionate and convicted in the vision and sharing that with people, um, if you can start to get people on the team talking about that and sharing with each other and you know, facilitating those stories being shared, it can help to develop that kind of culture was what you were making me think about that might help people here. My, uh, my last question is this, thinking about not just the resident, we've talked a lot about resident experience, but also the investor side is like really the core client of the property manager, right? Like it starts there. It's like, that's my client and the resident's kind of my customer, um, and it's good that there's more appreciation for resident experience and everything that drives in building a healthy relationship between everybody. But coming back to the investor for a second, you know, how do you teach businesses? Some of these businesses have 50 clients. Some of them might have hundreds of clients. Some of them may even have over a thousand clients. And thinking about, you know, an LTV, let's call it, you know, mm -hmm. somewhere in the thousands of dollars, right? but maybe not above 10K, you know, it's not quite like a consumer product where, um, you know, it's, it's pennies on a dollar, so to speak, and a low LTV transactional type thing, you know, for people who are in that kind of position, how do you teach them to think about, okay, making 800 moments happen for people, you know, yes, there's some things I can automate, like remembering a birthday or whatever it might be, but, you know, allocating some budget and investment, whether that's actual dollars, you know, or time investment, energy investment, you know, how do you teach people to think about, okay, you know, focus on things and do it across the whole customer base or investing a little bit more into prioritizing certain relationships first. How do you teach people to think about that? And what ways are you seeing people, you know, approach that that works for them? Well, I think one way to teach it is, I loved what you said before about what's the most I can do versus the least I can do. One is just to look for opportunities as they present themselves, because I promise you these opportunities exist everywhere, all around you for your investors and for your tenants. I just saw a story the other day about a woman who um, reached out to Chick-fil-A on um, social media because they announced that they're their peach milkshakes are back. And she had, did any of you guys see the story? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay. So she posted and was like, my grandma loved peach milkshakes so much. It was one of my favorite things, drinking them with her all summer. She passed away, but I was so glad that I got this picture of her enjoying her last pe uh, peach milkshake. Somebody from Chick-fil-A social like DM'd her and was like, you know, hey, can we get your address? We want to send you something. And she was like, yeah, of course. And they sent her some peach milkshake coupons. And she was like, oh, that's sweet. That was nice. But then a couple of days later, she got a box in the mail. They had printed out like a picture on like, you know, canvas of her grandma in that milkshake, framed it in this beautiful peach frame sent her like a really nice handwritten letter with all kinds of stuff from her local Chick-fil-A. So it was like free peach milkshakes for life or something. And like all of these free meals and a note about like what a wonderful woman her grandmother sounded like. So of course the story went super viral, right? Because those are the kinds of emotions that like you can't fake. But if you're paying attention, it's so easy to do because your customers and your investors and everyone else that you work with is giving you like softballs all the time. We all overshare on social media. We all give people those opportunities to do things like that. So it's really just paying attention and going back to what I said before about like what counts versus what's being counted, making sure that you are giving people the opportunity to, you know, show up in those moments and create those interactions that, that become special that your customers can't help but talk about. And Chewy is a great example. Any of you who have pets, if you know the company Chewy.com, they go viral more than any company that I've like ever seen. And they do it because 
even though they're repeating the same things over and over and over and over and over again, it doesn't matter because it's still special when they do it for you. Like when you get a portrait of your dog that an artist painted and sent to you, like you don't care if they've done it for 150,000 other people because those 150,000 people's dogs weren't your dog, right? So the things that you can replicate and scale hundred percent you should do like you should say what are five things that we can do that aren't heavy lifts that don't cost a ton but that make someone feel really valued and appreciated look for those opportunities but also train your team to look for those one-offs that aren't going to look the same from a to b because if you do that you will create a culture where people are like constantly trying to outdo each other right like people are looking for opportunities to do better than that story that was being celebrated by everyone internally at the company a week ago because somebody else did something so like celebrate and recognize your team as they do these things and you will create a culture where like everyone wants to be the one who got that i cared the most this week trophy or you know whatever it is man that's really great i i gotta acknowledge something in the chat but i i want to just foreshadow the last 10 minutes here so people know what to expect and uh we give give everyone a little heads up here of how we're gonna end this thing in an epic appropriate way so i'm gonna ask Brittany a question after that, you know, I'm going to ask you to think about potentially an amazing experience, an example or story of an experience that you provided or that was provided to you that might be helpful or relevant or illuminating in a way that reflects some of the concepts that Brittany's been talking about today. We'd love to hear a couple of those stories, but I want to start with you, Brittany. Uh, our friend John Ruin got mentioned in the chat here, and I know you know John. I feel like you have a story potentially. Uh, to share yourself about maybe an interaction or experience you had with John. I do. I know John very well. Um, and we have become very good friends over the years. And the most recent example of him giftology me, um, I, I like I was trying, you guys probably know how to do this because because you manage properties, but like I was really stumped trying to buy a blender. I was like, why is this so hard? Like it felt like buying a blender was harder than buying a car. And so like every few years I would just buy like a new blender that costs like, you know, 50 bucks or whatever. And I would use it until the blades didn't work anymore. And then I would get another blender and I was like, okay, I'm an adult, I have a home and kids and a family and a real job. Like I should get like a real blender. So I started doing all this research and it was completely overwhelming. I was like, real questions were, do you want to model with Bluetooth? And I was like, I don't know why, what? Do you want to buy a refurbished model? And I'm like, I don't think so. Anyway, it was so overwhelming. So I do what most people do when they're trying to make a decision about something. I posted on Facebook and I was like, what blender do I buy? Please help me. And there were, you know, probably 200 responses, very, quickly. And I was like, oh my God, this is not easier. This is harder. Right. So it's like unsubscribe. Maybe I just like won't have smoothies anymore. But then the next day, this box shows up and it was a Vitamix blender that John Rulin had sent with a really sweet note, um, wishing me good luck, blending all of the things that were happening at home and in my career, saying that he was always rooting for me. And the brilliance of that gift wasn't just the clever note. It was you know, not just the gift that like every time I use that blender, I think about John, which is, you know, all the time. It was the fact that he took something off my plate that was like causing me like mental anguish, right? It was like something that I was like, ah, my kids keep asking me for smoothies, but like I need a new blender and I don't know which one to get. Like he eliminated all of that like cognitive dissonance of like, do I want, you know, the model that like talks to me or not? So looking for opportunities to surprise and delight people, very much a giftology principle and something that I've been fortunate enough to, to get to see and learn from John over the years and even being on the receiving end a few times. Awesome. And Brittany, thanks for sharing that. That's cool. Um, hey, I, I saw one or two come through the chat and that probably bought people a minute to think about, hey, here's an example of a time or a quick story they might be able to share. We'd love to just have you come on up. Hi. <laughs> So my um, tenants called to say that their oven wasn't working on one Thanksgiving day and I sent the repairman there, but he called me back and he said, 
Jen, there's nothing I can do to help them. Even though we got the repair person there, he said the oven needs a part and I won't be able to get it until Monday. So I went over and got their turkey and I took it to my house and I cooked it in my oven. And then when I took the turkey back to them, they were so happy and sitting down and I saw those pies sitting on the counter that weren't cooked yet. <laughs> so I said, okay, what about that? So I took those pies and cooked them while they were eating dinner and then took them back at the end. <laughs> wow. I mean, talk about above and beyond. That's incredible. Um, Jan, can you share like, what was their reaction like to that? And how did it, how did it feel for you uh, well, as well? You know, that kind of stuff feels great when you're able to provide that sort of service because it's so beyond the pale and it's so unexpected. Um, you know, I don't know if you remember this or not. Maybe it'll just show the difference in age between me and you. <laughs> but um, there was a, a guy named T. Scott Gross in the, I want to say probably the 80s and 90s, who wrote a series of books called Positively Outrageous Service. And he talked about that. And I love those books. And I have built my business on that um, on that premise um, for all these years. And I constantly am preaching that to my employees as well. And it mm. it actually it, it is the same premise that we've talked about here today, which is to look for opportunities and um, you know take opportunities to do things that are surprising and unexpected. Jan, thank you so much for sharing that. What an incredible example. And uh, <laughs> thanks for being with us. Um, it's it's we, a good story. Got, it goes a long a, way. <laughs> that is an, a positively outrageously good story. Uh, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. You're welcome. Hey, uh, we've got time for one or two more. Something either you've experienced being on like the customer or client side yourself, right? Where someone made a moment happen for you or where you've been able to make a moment happen in your business and you saw it really had an impact. We'd love to hear one or two more, Laura Mack, if we've got it out there. Noel, my man, Noel from Arizona, how you doing? Great, great. Um, so this is partially an idea that we've been working on for a long time and partially something I picked up from Matthew Tringali when he was in town last month on a NARPM event. Um, but trying to give some type of gift to the tenant just you know, shortly after move-in or right at move-in just to kind of show him appreciation. Um, and he had talked about that he had partnered with a couple of food vendors locally that he was able to buy discount uh, gift cards for. So my idea was like, you know, buying him a pizza on move-in weekend um, and then co-branding that to have one of our local vendors help participate in the cost for this um, by branding. And my, my best uh, thought here was pest control because everybody's terrified of scorpions here in Phoenix. So uh, I'm working with our pest control guy to give like a $50 gift card to tenants as they move in and just remind them, hey, even though pest control's on you, here's a coupon for your first service and have pizza on us when you move in. Um, it was just one of the ideas that came up that, you know, kind of all of this, we, we've been really trying to push us ever since RBP has been pushing us to, to do this experience. And it's hard without uh, giving away just tons of free stuff. We still got to hold our tenants accountable just the giftology thought uh, made me made me think of that. Give them something and let them know you care a little bit before we start beating them up for the next 12 months. And when you give them something to show them that you care, make it about them, not you. Anybody who's read giftology has heard this before, but I always say, if you put your logo on it, it is not a gift, it is an ad. Like do not mistake a gift for an ad. Like it is not that's about- why we're, That's why we're hoping to engage a, a vendor to do it as well saying, hey, you know, get your cert. Here's a freebie on us, and here's pizza from the property manager. We know yeah. moving sucks. You know, don't try to cook tonight, kind of thing. I don't know, just an idea. Love that idea. Yeah, that's so great. That's so great. Noel, thanks for jumping up and sharing that, my friend. Um, hey, we've got time for one more. You can either uh, you can either come up and share a story, or we'll even take one or two. Just reflecting back from what Brittany shared with us over the past hour. Um, even just reflecting in some of the ideas she's talked about, any, any important takeaways that you're taking away, um, you know, fr from the last hour that we've invested here, we'd love to hear from a couple of folks. Laura Mack, there we go. Bruce, good to see you. Oh, hey, good to see you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Brittany, for what you've shared. It's been, uh, I, I could listen for hours. You have tons of 
valuable nuggets that I, I couldn't type fast enough. So it made it look like I wasn't paying attention, but I was adding, putting notes in my phone. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, that is so kind. Um, yeah, one of the things I did is I, I just copied right out of Giftology. Um, one of our investors is a local surgeon and I had asked him if he cooks and he said, no, I don't cook. I, I, I couldn't cook if he said, but my wife loves to cook. So I sent them uh, two knives from Cutco knives that are engraved with their initials. And I, I sent them actually to his wife, Heather. And I said, uh, here's a gift for you. Um, and then they sent me a very, very nice email that they were shocked to get these, these knives. And so they're bright red handles. You can do the white or the black. I did bright red just so they stand out. They'll always remember. And he's one of our favorite investors. He's just always bragging us up. And I said, I got to do something for him. And I know that in Giftology, he was Cutco guy. So um, yeah, it was way bigger impact than I thought. He took pictures of it, sent them to us and everything. So it was pretty, pretty awesome how it worked. That is such a great idea. And what, like one idea for any of you on this call, anytime somebody moves in as a new resident or even like a new investor, Lego, Lego sets are so easy and they make sense because they can build a house or an apartment. So like there are so many vendors, like you can just Google it. There's a million like Etsy type people out there who will create Lego kits of your thing. So like you could order a thousand pieces or a thousand different sets of like something that looks like a miniature version of your building. And then also have a bunch of little Lego people so that when a family moves in, you can have like a Lego person for each one in the family and the kit of the house. And like what kid on the planet would not be thrilled to have a Lego version of where they just moved in, right? Like little things. And when you can involve the family, like that great story from Bruce, when he was like, I didn't make it about, you know, my partner, I made it about his wife because you know, that's how you do it. That's how you win hearts and minds is by making people heroes at home and getting things for the people who you care about, like the people that they care about. So Lego is an idea. All of you should find a way to incorporate. Man, Bruce, great share. Thank you. And Brittany, that was a, that was a really cool follow-up there. Much appreciated. Hey, here's what we're going to do uh, to be respectful of time and the time we have scheduled. Would love for, listen, we'd love to hear from every single one of you, but maybe just in the chat, you could put uh, an expression of appreciation, the greatest gift that Brittany gave you today, what she taught you today that you felt was most important. Uh, I know she and her crew would love to see that kind of feedback before they're able to jump off. So Brittany, we'll make sure we get you that. And um, and man, just what a great example at the end there of like, you think about 80% of single family homes, it's, it's families, right? Uh, and so, man, what a cool creative idea to connect them to their new home uh, in a fun, creative, personalized way. That's a, that's exciting. And Bruce, I love what you did about making it about them, right. And their initials and not about you. And it, when you make it so about them, they never forget who did that for them. Right. Uh, so it's almost that counterintuitive thing, but I don't want them to forget me. So let me put my name or logo or initials on it, but it's about making them feel something so deep and memorable that, you know, somebody like Brittany's going to say, Mr. Perry, she'll never forget his name. Right. Uh, because of how he made her feel. And so this was so great. Brittany, thank you so much from the entire Second Nature team. I know we're excited to get copies of your book and, and stay in touch with everything you're putting out there uh, you know, to benefit us, what we're trying to do here. And thanks so much for spending time with us today. So appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. It was an honor. Thank you all so much for the gift of your time over the past hour. I hope it's been useful. And um, I'm just Brittany at BrittanyHodak.com. If you have any questions for me or any ideas, as you can tell, I'm an idea person. So I'm always happy <laughs> to, to help in any way I can and give you ideas of fun, surprise and delights. All right, everybody, the queen of customer experience. Thanks for being with us today, Brittany. So appreciate it. Thanks all of you for investing your time and participating 100% here. That made it even more special to be with everyone today. Thanks for all the love that you're putting in the chat, Brittany. This has got to be great and feel great on your end to see everything that's coming in the chat here, uh, the impact that you made today. Thanks again. With that, happy Triple Wednesday. Keep uh, stacking your triple wins, creating great experiences, and we'll see you guys again soon. Take care, everybody. That's all for today's Triple Win Property Management Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of your life with us. We do not take it for granted. I also want to give a shout out to Carol Housel for everything she and our team does to make these possible. It's crazy to think about over 5,000 professional property managers have pressed play 
on episodes in season one and season two now. And we really want to encourage you to keep giving feedback because more and more people are listening. It's getting better and better and better thanks to everything that you're sharing with us. If you like this enough to listen, want to encourage you to share it with other people. Um, you can give us feedback directly on those social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you're hanging out. You can also send us an email at triplewin at secondnature.com. And we just want to give more. We're, we're, there's no sales pitch here. Just want to offer more resources that help you find and stack your next triple win and become a triple win driven property manager. So where can you find that? You can find the private Facebook group. You can find our blog. You can find our newsletter. You can find more resources all at rbp.secondnature.com. Just search for what you're looking for there. And every time we see you, we want to see a better version of you and your business to that end. Keep it going. Feel inspired. Take our encouragement. And we'll see you next time.